So, Pastor Dominic last week, he talked about Christ-centered growth, and then this week, we'll be continuing in our series on Colossians, and this week, we'll be discussing Christ-centered hope. And so, the key idea of this sermon today is Jesus is supreme over all creation, powers, and authorities, and he remains our chief hope in all circumstances. That is our main thought that we're going to be diving into today. So Dominic discussed it a little bit last week, but uh, why did Paul write the book of Colossians? And the reason why that he wrote the book of Colossians was to combat false teaching that was pervading the church in the city of Colossae. Paul was combating this philosophy, this thought that was saying, Jesus and, Jesus and this. But Paul is saying, no, only Jesus. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is sufficient that we don't need to add anything to it and that our main focus and that our main hope for our world, hope for our church, and the hope for each individual is not found in the things of this world or the things that we do or the traditions that we have and the traditions that we create, but our main hope as believers in Jesus Christ is found in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. So I'd like to invite everyone to open up their Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. It'll also be on the screen as well. But before we dive into the text, let me say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning and the gift that is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would speak to us today through the words that are found in your scripture. Lord, we pray that uh, any word that I say, that if it's not from you, that may fall away like a chaff in the wind. Lord, we pray that the words that are from you would stick. We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Colossians 1, 15 to 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." So this passage that we are going through today can be divided into two parts. First, the supremacy of Christ, and then second, the sufficiency of Christ. For those who like points, my first point of the sermon is that Christ is the hope of the world. 
First, let's start off in verses 15 and 17. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow, there's a lot that is packed into that those two verses there. So starting off in verse 15, you see, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So the image of the invisible God. When we look into the Old Testament, there are a few instances where God revealed himself to his people. So in Genesis 32, you have an instance of Jacob wrestling with God, but where Jacob not only saw God face to face, but wrestled with him, and yet his life was spared. Given as a result of their wrestling match, Jacob had a hip injury, but that is a small price to pay for surviving an instance of God displaying his divine authority and power, where Jacob saw God face to face, and yet he survived being in the presence of God. Another instance is in Exodus 33, where Moses asked God to show him his glory, but God said that he could not show Moses his face because Moses would die if he saw his face. Let's move on to the prophets. In Isaiah 6, the train of God's robe filled the temple, and the seraphim cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, describing God's beauty, majesty, and his holiness. God is set apart. So you take these brief glimpses, these snapshots that these prophets had of God throughout the Old Testament, then there comes Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Next, we move on to the firstborn of all creation. So when we look at the phrase, the firstborn of all creation, the word firstborn is translated from the Greek word prototokos. Not an expert in Greece, but I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. <laughs> Which literally means firstborn. The sense of the word firstborn, or prototokos, means to precede all others in time or space or degree. Paul is not saying that Jesus is a part of creation, or that Jesus was the first thing created, or that Jesus is some kind of divine creature. Paul is saying that Jesus precedes all others in time, space, and degree, which is consistent with the rest of the structure of the passage, that Jesus is God. Moving on to 16 and 17, for in him all things in heaven and earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the firstborn of all creation, Jesus, is the one who precedes all others in time, space, degree, and in him or by him and through him all things were created. So when I read this, it was really hard for me not to think of Genesis 1, the creation story. So the heavens and the earth were created through Jesus. All the stars in the sky and the galaxy and the universe were created through Jesus. All the planets, all the animals, and earth, all the animals, plants and animals, and all of humanity came into existence through Jesus. So 
I grew up in Chicago, and those who kind of live close to the Twin Cities area, uh, you know, there's a thing called light pollution. Uh, I remember growing up at nighttime in Chicago, and I would look to the sky, and I would just see a giant black void, and probably maybe see a few stars in the night that you can actually count. <laughs> But I remember going on a youth retreat as a junior high youth leader when I was 20 years old. Yes, 20 years old. When we went to northern Wisconsin, close to the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, we arrived at night, and I stepped out of the van, and I was extremely confused. I noticed almost immediately that there was something different in the night sky. I remembered learning in high school, you know, growing up, that there were billions of stars that were in the universe. But this was the first time that I had ever looked up into the night sky, and thought, "Wow, there must be a billion stars up in that night sky." <laughs> but I don't know if you remember your your first experience of being outside and seeing the night sky with zero light pollution. It is just an absolute wonder to behold and to think about it. All the stars in the sky, all the stars in the universe, were created. Through Jesus, and then Paul also adds that all the thrones, dominions, rulers, and powers have been created through Jesus as well, which is just emphasizing that Jesus has ultimate authority and power over everything in our world. He then says that he himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What Jesus created. Jesus sustains. God cares for His creation, and God is active within the creation that He has created. What Paul is saying is that God is not some kind of clockmaker that has set everything up and created everything, and then just started this clock and just left everything. And now everything's just kind of existing, and that God is not really active within His creation. So this is. A philosophy that is known as deism and is actually a byproduct of the Enlightenment age or the age of reason. As many of you likely remember from history classes growing up, the 18th century, the age of reason, deism is the idea that God exists but just does not really care of what's going on right now, and that that is the reason why that there are so many wrong things in the world. So deism also argues that people, that humanity, is really in control of what's going on right now. Within this thought process, it is held that it is not reasonable for supernatural things to occur. I.e., you can question anything supernatural or anything outside of reason that happens in the Bible today. And so here's an interesting fact: Have you heard of the Jefferson Bible? It was. It was a Bible that Thomas Jefferson created. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of the United States, he literally took a copy of the Bible that he had and cut out all the miracles of Jesus, even including the resurrection, because it was not reasonable for somebody to think that. He used a razor and glue to make his own Bible that aligned with his own philosophical beliefs. Go ahead and Google it. It's called the Jefferson Bible. But the reason why I bring this up. Is more so to highlight where we have been as a Western culture, and also to highlight where we are today. 
so that we can meet people where they are today with the message of hope that we have to offer that is centered on Christ Jesus. As we read in the Psalms, 145 verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Regardless of our circumstances, we know that Jesus is supreme and has ultimate authority over things, and we know that Jesus is close to all who call on him, that this is the hope for the world. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and has made himself known to us, and he sustains and is active within his creation. So moving on to point number two. Jesus is the hope of the church. Verses 18 to 20. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the ultimate authority in the global church and in the local church. So continuing in verse 18, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So, just a couple weeks ago, what did we celebrate? Easter. Got it. We celebrated the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we discussed, in the beginning, Jesus existed, and the world was created through Jesus. Verse 18 says, Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. This means the person of Jesus died for our sins, was raised to life, and he defeated and conquered the power of death through his resurrection. Jesus resurrected from the dead, which we celebrated a few weeks ago, so that in everything he might have supremacy over death. If you are in the body of Christ, Jesus is the head of the church, and death is something that should not be feared because Jesus has defeated death. Through his resurrection, those who are in Christ will be raised with him so that we as a church can say with confidence, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? This is not the only instance in the Bible where Jesus is referred to as the firstborn among the dead. We also see in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, John writes his letter to the seven churches in the province of Asia saying, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from, from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. This statement affirms Jesus as the firstborn from the dead and upholds Jesus Christ's authority power, and supremacy. In verses 19 and 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
the fullness of God, the totality of God dwelt in Jesus. The person of Jesus was fully God and fully human. And through him to reconcile to himself all things on earth and in heaven. We as a church, as Dominic was mentioning before, we have been reading through the Bible in one year. And if you're tracking along with us, we just finished First and Second Samuel. The books summarize the life of Israel's two main kings. You have King Saul, and who is just after him? King David, correct. In these books, we read about the rise and the downfall of both characters. But the main point of the two books can be found in 2 Samuel chapter 7 with God's promise to David. God's promise to David said that there would be someone from the line of David that would be Israel's future messianic king that would one day rule and have an eternal kingdom. Also in the book of Isaiah chapter 11, the prophet writes of a time when someone of the branch of Jesse, who is David's father, would come and gives a description of this messianic figure and this eternal kingdom that they would bring. This is where it is described that the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. All right, so have any of you watched National Geographic or Discovery Channel late at night before you go to sleep? Anyway, all right, I'm the only one here, all right. So when you watch these shows, you have the wolves and lambs, you have the leopards and the goats, the lions and the calves. So when you're watching it, are you seeing the wolf chilling with the lamb by the water? And they're probably watching a sunset together? <laughs> or a leopard and the goat lying down in the prairie grass, staring at the clouds together? No? So, I mean, if, if you said yes, you're probably watching Disney Channel or something like that. <laughs> because that's clearly not how it works. Predators spend day and night chasing after their prey. This is something that will continue to happen until Jesus comes back and fulfills what is described in Revelation 21. That is when the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. You see this picture of peace and hope? This is the larger picture of Colossians 19 and 20. This is the fullness of the reconciliation that is found in Christ Jesus. Through his sacrifice on the cross, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the true hope of the church that is found in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Move on to point number three which is Christ is the hope of every person. Once you're alienated from God, this is verse 21, once you're alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, 
established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So just to recap, our first point, Christ is the hope of the world. Second point, Christ is the hope for the church. And our third and final point is Christ is the hope of every person. For every believer in Jesus Christ, there was a time before where we were once alienated from God, where we were separated from God, where we were hopeless. But those who have repented of their sins, turn to Jesus and put their faith in him, have been reconciled through Christ's physical death on the cross. And now we stand before a holy God pure and free from any accusation. So I grew up going to church, and my parents would bring me on a weekly basis. And I probably started attending when I was in kindergarten or first grade. But when I was in fifth grade, that is where the message of the gospel just finally clicked with me. It's kind of that light bulb turning on moment. I was sitting in Sunday school class, and the teacher was talking about Jesus coming back again, the second return of Jesus. And so the teacher was talking about it and saying that everyone would see Jesus coming back from the sky. And I remember as an innocent fifth grader asking the question, what happens if someone's looking at the ground when Jesus comes back? <laughs> but I don't remember her response, but it was just that moment where it just kind of just clicked with me. And I knew that I needed to trust Jesus. So I just want that to be an encouragement to everyone who helps out within the children's ministries. The work that you are doing is extremely important, that the children and the youth are one of the biggest opportunities for people to come to trust Jesus as their Savior. And every single interaction that you have with them is one step closer to them coming to trust to know Jesus, even though it might sometimes be comical questions that they ask. And Paul moves to the importance of the perseverance in faith and of remaining established and firm and to not move from the hope that is held out in the gospel. As I reflect on my youth experience, growing up in a church and within the youth group, we, uh, with all, all the members that had graduated with my class, um, these, these people who would, uh, you would consider on fire for the Lord that we went on missions trips with, there are probably about 10 of them in my class in youth group. Now, I'm about 30, 32 years old, right, 32? Yeah, okay, I just want to make sure I know what the age I am. <laughs> so now at 32, those who I graduated in youth group, I can probably maybe see maybe three or four of them still connected to a church in some kind or connected to the Christian faith in some kind, of some kind. And so I don't want to say that as something that's depressing, but I just want to emphasize Paul's point that he is making here of the importance to persevere in the faith of Jesus Christ and to not move from the hope that is found in the gospel. Paul ends the section of Colossians with a transition to the next section of the book of Colossians, which is about how our work for Christ is the most important work, and Pastor Dominic will talk about that next week. So, 
If you haven't been paying attention to anything, I want you to focus back in here. Here are the key takeaway points for today. So as we move into these three takeaway points, the questions that you might have, what are the various things that you can do to help persevere in the faith, sustain this hope that we have in Christ, and build our relationship with God? Like, thank you for asking that question. I have answers right here for you. So here are the key takeaway points here. So first, connect with Scripture. Connecting with God through reading the Scripture is one of the best ways to persevere through the storms that life throws at you. I've heard some people say that they really want to hear from God and that God never speaks to them. This is not my quote or not my thought, but Pastor John Piper has this quote and thought, and I 100% agree with his response. Do you want to know the guaranteed, the best way that you can hear God directly speaking to you? Read the Bible. But are you one of those two people that really wants to hear God speak? Like, hear God audibly speak to you. Read the Bible out loud. <laughs> so, personally, I listen to the Bible using an app called YouVersion on my smartphone. I encourage you to download it. It's totally free. Take out your phone right now. Check it out. You know, open, find, you know, download the app during church. It's the Bible. It's fine. <laughs> Generally, I listen to it whenever I'm driving places or if I'm working around the house or doing lawn work. It is great to soak in Scripture. Whether you read just a few verses or you read an entire book of the Bible, you, you can uh, connect with Scripture just by listening to it. It's super convenient on your phone or just read it. Some people like the traditional way, on paper, which is awesome. So connect with scripture. Read it, listen to it, read it aloud, or read it with others. It is the way to sustain this hope that we have in Christ. Our second key takeaway point is to connect with believers. Connecting with others and connecting with other believers in Jesus is crucial within spiritual development. We at the church have many connections groups to be a part of, ranging from Bible studies to life groups that focus more on fellowship and building relationships with others. If you're interested in joining one of these said groups, talk to me after the service or go to our website at mpcommunitychurch.org and there's just a little button at the top that says connection groups form. And I just encourage you to fill that out to become connected to a connection group Bible study if you are already not connected to one. And because it's a blessing to be around those that follow Jesus and to help encourage you through the valleys of life and can be there for you when you need someone to pray for. Connection groups give you the opportunity to do this for others as well. Third key takeaway for today is to connect with non-believers. Talking with non-believers that do not know the truth of the message of Jesus and helping connect others with God, first and foremost, helps to spread the message of Jesus Christ that you don't know this hope that is found in the gospel. But second, connecting with non-believers helps to articulate what you believe and helps you to think through why you believe what you believe. 
As a pastor, this being my line of work, it can sometimes be difficult to find people who are not believers in Christ since I'm working with a lot of people in the church. But I know that other pastors who are in the same boat, that they have a tough time finding non-believers to work with, but it takes a level of intentionality of being plugged into the community, the community, like the geographic location. And for me, it's being a part of things that I love to do, i.e. like being a part of a community softball team where there are people on the team that need to know the love of Jesus. And I'm participating in activities that other people have a common interest in, and I'm able to build relationships with those individuals. And through those relationships, I'm able to be the light of Christ to those individuals. And that I would encourage you that if you find that you don't know or don't spend time with many or any people that don't know Jesus, is to start thinking of being a part of various community groups that participate in things that you're interested in, whether that be sports, scrapbooking, board games, fitness groups, book clubs, trivia nights, community volunteering, the list goes on and on and all the things people can be interested in. And that is a various way that we can connect others with God. So if you're listening to this and you're just on the fence about this whole putting faith in Jesus thing or if you're just unsure about all of this, I can assure you that you putting your trust in Jesus will be the best decision that you ever make. If you are in a position and just still want to learn more about God, I would suggest that you start reading the Bible in the book of John and pray that God would reveal himself to you. And I'd also just invite you to join one of our Bible studies as well that meets on Monday evenings, Tuesday evenings, and meets on Thursday mornings for the men and Thursday mornings, or Thursday evenings for men. Monday and Tuesdays is women's, Thursdays is men's. Clarified. And that know that the God of the universe who created it and sustains it sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and rise from the grave that you may have restored life through him. That those who call on the name of Jesus will be saved and have new life and eternal life through him. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this time today to learn more about who you are you, the creator of this world, you, the sustainer of this world, you reconciled us to you through your death on the cross and have adopted us into your family so that we can be your children. We thank you for this eternal hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Of all God's people said, amen. Amen.